Before we started the show, I had a really stupid thought, and that means it's a good idea to just vocalize it out loud. That's always the case. If you have a stupid thought, then you must immediately put it on the record uh, for all time. Yeah. So, before the show, I was listening to some songs, and some of them were in mono. Right. Uh, basically, I was playing Deutschland über alles, uh, the uh, 1940s recording. And that made me... I worry about you sometimes, I really do. Um, uh, and anyway. was this on headphones, or was... No, I know, I know, uh, on the, the constant uh, intake of Nazi propaganda that you enjoy is, is all just in t- it for academic reasons. Um, but um, Well, this, was... this uh, MP3 has been sitting on my computer for, like, decades now. Because yes. I thought, it, because it it's would be important. funny to have it, you know. Whenever uh, it's appropriate, you can just play it, and everyone can ask, <laughs> why do you have this? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was in mono. Uh-huh. Back in the days, people were playing music on monogramophones. Yeah. And these days, there's been a rise of people listening to music in mono again on phone speakers and Bluetooth speakers. You are right. And there's been a correlating rise in Nazism. Do you... <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my word. Is this Have a... you noticed that? I went through a phase <laughs> quite recently of um, listening to the point of pretty much memorizing the entire back catalog of the Beatles in mono. Have you noticed? Is Has there been an increase in sort of fascist tendencies on my part in that time? There might be a bit of a time lag, but uh, it might be inevitable. I mean, mm-hmm. ein Volk, ein Reich, ein Speaker. I mean... <laughs> Listen, I'm not even sufficiently steeped in, like, what I assume is Nazi propaganda to get that reference. Um, yeah. So, so do, you see, do you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean? I think uh, you need to really pay attention to how much of this you take in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> This might be the least stupid thing we talk about today. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been off for a few weeks. You, you That's went right. To... Yeah, we've had all sorts of things to do, haven't we? Yeah. Well, I have. I don't know about you. <laughs> I watched a bunch of movies. I... Yeah, that's important. I sat around watching YouTube videos. Very important. Play, played some games. And you, you, went and, uh, you went and watched a musical. Yeah, I went and watched a musical, which I, I kind of want to, to plug and make people go to. Although... Really, I think the crossover of listeners to this and people who can go through this musical are very, very small. But anyway, it's called Fanatical. It's by Matt Board and Raina Hardy. Is it Hardy? Yes. And is it Raina? It could be Raina. I think it's Raina. And um, it's just really good. Yeah, I was invited down to London to see it because the um, the uh, at least Matt Board kind of took a certain amount of inspiration from uh, my Ocarina of Time with lyrics song. I don't know to what extent, and I think he may have just been buttering me up to an extent, but the, purely in terms of it being a show about sort of nerdy things, the um, the premise is that there are some people who are putting on a convention for a, fa- a, a sort of a made-up Star Trek, made up for this. And, well, it's, it's more of a made-up... Um, no, I won't say, because it's a spoiler. Anyway, yeah, there's a convention, and things go wrong, and it's nice, and everybody, you know, meets each other and stuff. It's really good. And, uh, yeah, that's where I went on two weekends ago. I went to London, and I had to experience things like the London Underground, which is a, a really uh, harrowing, uh, traumatizing experience, and that's why I don't go to London almost ever. 
Um, because London is the Shenmue 2 of cities, and I, I can't help but compare it. Because So you'd be fine, but I live in Dobuita. My world, it, take, it takes place in a small number of streets that I've learned and memorized. Suddenly to go to London and to be expected to like somehow navigate a city so big that it has separate you know, maps that have to load in separately and you have to get on like fast travel transport to get to them. But the loading times are ridiculous. You can be on the fast travel transport for anything up to 20, 30 minutes. You can be, it, it's a big place. And you have, you know, if you're with friends, as I was on the first day, you have, you know, Mass Effect lift conversations while the next section of London's loading. But um, th when you're on your own, it's it's a very strange and boring experience, but also slightly worrying because you are convinced that, you know, there you are having paid to rocket along underground and it's not just a train that's underground which is interesting on itself but you're vaguely aware that there may be other trains above you it's you're really really quite underground depending on where you are and um i don't know if that's true but that's as i understand it um so you have this not, i, I want to say claustrophobic but only i'm not claustrophobic it turns out so this only took really took hold when i thought about it um but yeah, it's a very strange place to be. And you might be going the wrong way. That's the thing. The maps are complicated to read unless you know all sorts of things about the final destination. This is true of any trains and even buses. Unless you know things about the final destinations of these vehicles, it's difficult to pick which one you need to be on to get to your midway destination. All sorts of problems. All sorts of problems. But uh, I did it and it was fine. Good, uh, good, so good job, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could. Uh, people do it every day, and I genuinely don't understand how. It's Google such Maps. A strange life to live. Watching people walking about underground. Imagine that. Imagine if you're. I mean, well, you can imagine this because you've played the Metro games, but I haven't. Imagine if a sizable portion of your life took place in underground tunnels. Like, there's a lot of trust involved in that. Are these tunnels going to remain tunnels for the whole time I'm in them? Um, yeah, I that's mean, about it. Th that's why people get upset when they hear about the. Uh... Japan's like subway sarin gas attacks in the 90s. I mean, it's uh, one of the reasons. Yeah. I mean, there's ordinary empathy, but yeah, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, yeah, I mean, exactly. The, yeah, exactly. Who knows what's going to happen when you're in this system of tubes um, and you have to just trust everyone, you know? Um, I realized by saying system of tubes, I've kind of made this into an internet analogy and and same there same is that true there um but to a less mortal degree in some cases yeah, yeah it's the, the, it's harrowing yeah and to bring it back to something really stupid while mm. you were talking i remember that both shenmue and like mass effect one had snippets of mono music in them yes they were laying the groundwork for uh, today's rise in fascism i mean mono music doesn't just sound bad it's evil right yeah, that's a that's a strong statement, but I, you've you've laid out the case for it pretty succinctly. So I think we can put us put the stamp on that. I mean, a lot of bullshit science relies on this correlation right. equals causation, and turns yes. out there's a lot more of our assumptions in the world that uh, kind of line up with it. it turns out like uh, heart attacks and cholesterol is like apparently one of them. So this has equal scientific basis to a lot of the assumptions that govern our world so i can just follow that right yeah. and, and and you can just take one look at how well we're governing our world and 
and see how correct it is to think that way. Yeah, if everyone else is going to get away with spouting complete bullshit they pulled out of their ass and yes. base their worldview on it, why can't yep. I do it as well? You can, and you should. Yeah. And I'm glad you are doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, this mono music that you were listening to, I've got to ask, speakers or headphones? Headphones. See, that is... that. No wonder you're becoming a fascist right before my eyes. I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> that is... A very unpleasant experience. Uh, I mean, you can get used to it. You can settle into it and, and get used to it. But of course, the the when when mono music was played, it was not played on headphones. It was played out of well, it was played out of trumpet things. But then it was mm. played on speakers. And I've tried, and I, and I have noticed that um, my prior objections when I was getting into those mono Beatles recordings, due to how they were better mixed. At first, I was like, well, it doesn't matter if they're better mixed. It going, it's it will sound worse, and it doesn't matter. But then I remembered. You play it on the speakers. It, it, the point of it is that the resonance of the room creates the stereo-wide effect that you need to, to make mono sound all right. Although I do think that we're at the point where now, why don't um, all headphones, not, not headphones themselves, but like, you know, computers and so on, why is there not an easy access to a button that you press if you're listening to something mono that just adds a small, barely detectable amount of space uh, virtual space to it just moves the sound slightly away from you, puts a tiny little reverb on, and just makes it sound more like you're in a room listening to it. It's there are systems like that, but uh, yeah. people care so little about mm. sound that like none of them have taken off in any meaningful way. It's very niche. It's a uh, yeah. What people prioritize above all else when it comes to audio is just convenience. Yeah. If it happens to sound good, that's a bonus. <laughs> sure, uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's why like, so much of society puts up with those white uh, iPhone headphones. Although, I would argue there that the problem isn't even the sound quality. It's the, it's the putting them in your ears problem. Um, it's, they're very uncomfortable. Yeah. But then, the way that I think they're uncomfortable is that they're the, 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 the flat disc sort of headphone. Although they're not anymore, are they? But no. those are the ones I'm talking about. The flat disc sort of headphone, as opposed to the sort of plug that goes in your ear with a comfy rubber uh, sheath sort of a headphone. Um, but as a child, I remember having—you know—they they'd only existed. They'd only invented the flat disc sort of headphone. I was comfortable enough with them then, so goodness knows what my problem is. I, I remember reading the documentation for some uh, in-ear headphones where <laughs> they choose—I mean, they—they they come with several tips and. The medium size, that's the default on many in-ear headphones, that size is chosen because it fits the most people, and that's 60% of people. That's interesting. So if you make a generic-sized headphone like that, that's small and supposed to fit in your ear, it can only like fit perfectly with a little bit over half of the human population. The rest of them will have some sort of... Uh, and what I've found that's, that's weird about this is that whereas I used to be very comfortable wearing those headphones as a, I suppose, my peak time of wearing those was when I was 11 years old. Mm. Never had them out of my ears in those days. Got my personal stereo there, listening to Michael Jackson's Dangerous Tour almost all the time. Um, but I've since discovered uh, that they don't fit in my ears anymore. Apparently ears shrink with age. I didn't think that would be the case. Um, obviously, I've not tested it with the exact headphones I had then, but I've 
I've yet to find a pair of headphones that doesn't wriggle its way out very quickly um, in my adult life, and that's odd, isn't it? Maybe your ears were just soft, softer, so they... Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes, there you go. That probably is the case, isn't it? Mm. I mean, for example, I used to very happily... Uh, this little, The ridge at the very top of your ears, I used to merrily just turn those inside out all the time. I used to just do that. It's just a little, uh, little thing I used to do. Just fiddle my ears, turn them inside out. Now... I don't feel like I could do that, and I actually think I've got a kind of a tear left over from there from when I used to do it, which, ah, as I feel it now, actually, that's kind of healed up a bit. It used to be a proper rip, and now there's some softer connective tissue there. Um, so evidently that's healed over. That still hurts me from time to time, and it's from, I guess, whenever I first found that it was no longer comfortable to do that to my ears. But that may not be an aging thing because my brother does it all the time. That's his little nervous tick. He'll he'll do that to his ears. Um, come away with a big red ear. And, uh, hey, maybe it hurts him. I don't know. Maybe he's young at heart. Young at heart. Flippity-bitty-bitty-bitty-doop. Have we got any topics to talk about today? Because I, I don't want my parents to show up before we start. <laughs> yeah, I mean... They're moderately interesting topics, and yeah. I guess we can uh, start out by shading on Doctor Who. I mean, yeah. there, there are so many other things to do in life that I became increasingly impatient watching Doctor Who, and uh, with the India episode, I about halfway through, I shut it off because it was it felt so incompetent. Tonally, uh -huh. the the way it was introducing the setting and the story, it was very like, melodramatic. And now, just before we go much further, um, I, uh, as you know, I'm inclined to defend this series for various reasons, and, yeah. I, and I don't look down on it quite as badly as you. However, you're going to have to remind me what even happened this week because I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, this was what one was it? <laughs> it was a few weeks ago. They they kind of. Uh arrive in uh, between the border of like india and pakistan oh the oh the india one that oh sorry i thought you meant this week's one okay carry on yeah and uh, they say oh it's india oh it's this time of it's, it's this time so there's a historical event going on oh there's aliens here and it's just yeah. like cacophony of like a million ideas at the same time it was jumping violently from one to the other and then all of a sudden it's like oh We've hit the twenty-five percent of the episode. We have to have something dramatic happen now. It's like I'm barely settled into what's happening now, and it's, it's like, yeah. no, screw this. I'm I can't take this anymore. It's like even though it's only like an hour long, I'm getting really impatient, and I really wanted to do something else. So I decided to just yeah. I'm I'm not gonna bother. And then I did try to watch the week the episode afterwards. Or it's like janitor robots, and they filmed the whole thing in like a, oh, a soundstage. Oh, that was. Yes. Yeah, and that felt really cheap. And again, I couldn't pay attention to it. It was just it didn't feel like a quality production. I felt like, now this. Is, no, I'm. I'll try again next season. I, yeah. I gave this. I don't know, six chances, and I was let down every single time. <laughs> the height of the series was. The first 12, 15 minutes of episode one. And it's been yeah. like a downward sliding quality ever since. And it's never picked up. And it's like, nah. I can't really defend it. I, um, yeah. I am still watching. And I'm still, I'm still happy to watch it. And I'm still comfortable watching it. But I know that the part of me that is watching it is... It's, it's the part that 
feels like Sunday afternoon BBC TV should be kind of boring. And that is not a defense of the program. Um, yeah, I am. I find it comfortable. But the way that I find it comfortable is because I, I like the people in it and I'm happy to spend some time with them. But no, you're right. Nothing's happening. It doesn't matter. You they I mean, they made a, they made a point um, when they were putting this series together. One of the one of the design directions they were going with, as it were, not design directions. One, one of the philosophies is that every episode will be completely standalone and it doesn't matter if you've if you can miss the whole series you can watch episode 7 and you'll get it unfortunately that means there is no imperative to watch the program you it's it's made it very clear that you can just not and it'll be fine and you can just join in again next season and you won't have missed anything nothing important will have happened and it that does again that harkens back to a kind of tv i do miss that i did used to watch and be happy with but it's not what i watch now and so yeah this is the only program like that that i currently tolerate and i think they forgot how to write a show like this mm. because yeah there's loads of series like this that were perfectly fine like doctor who in the past <laughs> doctor who in the past uh star trek next generation there's yeah. me and abby watching that right now and we've We've got to a point where that series is at a height, so we've had um, an absolutely wonderful episode. Just a, what, probably the best episode we've seen so far uh, was uh, a couple of episodes ago in which uh, Data is trying to learn small talk, and uh, he's doing this at a party, so you've got Brent Spiner mugging for the camera. And, and then meanwhile, Picard is alone on the Enterprise because he was the last one to leave as it was getting hijacked. So he's ramboing around on the Enterprise. And just in that one episode, completely standalone, there are so there are such heights. There are character moments that, yeah, all right, they won't affect the following episode. But within this story, they are extremely entertaining and gripping, and they and you feel as if you're being moved along through something brilliant. And then in Doctor Who, everyone's just there. Yep. <laughs> now I I actually liked the India Pakistan story. Um, I didn't think it was you know, again. I didn't think it was perfect, and that seems like a silly thing to say because, of course, nothing is. But I mean, what I mean is, it's very easy to imagine a better version of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to do that right now because I'd just be flailing around. I can barely remember it. But mm. it it all led up to spoilers if you haven't seen it, except for you who doesn't want to see it. Um, it all led up to a thing where the um, you know, the brother who was obviously going to betray them does betray them, and it's a uh, the the two brothers like. There's a there's a kind of not a reconciliation. There's a confrontation, and he get and the 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 good brother gets shot, and everybody else flees, and it's like the you know. Um, so it was like a it was in its way a heavy and meaningful story. And okay, here's what I'm here's what I'm getting to. This Doctor Who might be good, but if it is, then it's good for families with children, and I am I approve of that. But it's definitely no good, or at least it's not. It doesn't really offer much to anyone who doesn't fit that category. And so, and honestly, I'm kind of in two minds about it because, like, I sort of think that that's right. I, you know, people approaching their forties should not be the target audience for Doctor Who. Yeah, but, but the thing is, it's possible to write like family television where the fa yes. the whole family is actually engaged. Like I don't know, pick Pixar films. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That exactly. And Doc, I don't think Doctor Who has ever quite been that. I think there's been, um, or at least, or rather, 
new new who i don't think it's ever quite hit that balance mm. um i don't really know where to put rtd i think the freshness and newness of it meant that that was good enough for everybody to enjoy but when we were deep into the moffatiest of moffatiness that was something that like there was no way anyone was following that let alone kids at the moment apparently the kids are following and enjoying these programs because they have quite simple setups and characters and it's fine but yeah. yes for those of us who aren't there to enjoy it with our kids there's not much to keep us on the hook except the the name um and the cast i'm still all in for jody i'm still all in for bradley this i i like the people so i will keep watching it but yeah it's not uh, there's i wouldn't in- i i feel no need to go like oh give it another chance because it's like well a you did and b it's making it clear that it's not going to provide anything more than it's providing now it seems yeah i'm still curious about the finale we'll see what happens there mm, yeah i mean i hope i hope kids are enjoying it but for me apparently it's, they are yeah but i just wanted a, a nice sci-fi show and i'm not really getting it so yeah no that's the thing isn't it there's such a big gap because mm. now that we're swearing on star trek and showing mangled bodies on star trek <laughs> yeah there's nothing in between like there's like if you want adult sci-fi you've got the expanse if you want small children sci-fi you've got doctor who and you know like what if that star wars rebels thing is still on you know got that and well that's not sci-fi exactly but you know what i mean yeah and then nothing in between there is no midpoint you start star trek discovery is not expanse level adult but it purports to kind of want to be it's a bit like a it's a bit like a torchwood of of Star Trek. So where do you go? Where do you go? Yeah, I mean, there's this like a whole genre of sci-fi that's gone now because everyone's kind of pivoted away from that style. I'm in the interesting position of having <laughs> met someone who was in Stargate um, at the weekend because mm. uh, she was in this musical having never seen Stargate. So my entire point of reference for this actor is that I, I met her in the bar um, and that she was really good in this musical. But she's from Stargate, and, and it, that, that's an interesting order to come at something in. Um, I never saw Stargate because there was, frankly, too much of what we're now saying there's none of for me to watch it. There was too, I was watching too much. I was watching DS9. I was watching Voyager. I was watching, I don't know, whatever else was on at the time. There was all sorts of stuff. Loads. And Stargate was just one too many, and I never watched it. So, like, where's it all gone? Of course, it means I can plug that hole in my life by, for example, watching Stargate now. But give it back. Give yeah. it back. And it should have been Discovery, honestly. Um, or it should be the next thing they do in yeah. the series. Uh, you know, because because the, the Star Trek franchise is branching out, right? We've since, in the last few weeks, we've heard they're doing an animated series, which is going to be... Is it a Seth MacFarlane or is it? It's oh no, it's a it's a Rick and Morty guy, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's so it's going to be along the lines of a Star Trek Family Guy type type thing. I don't know why I keep going back to Seth MacFarlane, but mm. wait, is that the Family Guy man? Yes, Seth MacFarlane? yeah. But uh, I guess that's what I've seen people describe it as because they're a bit uncomfortable with the idea. Not me. <laughs> I think, especially if it is the Rick and Morty guy, honestly, perfect, great, give me that. Mm. Um, but that is obviously going to be a kind of a snarky. That that's something else, and then there's the Picard show, which is probably going to be a bit too serious and grown up and dour. I, I see that as the Star Trek Logan, mm. and then more Discovery, which is just sort of trying to be a bit too much. Which I like it; it's fine. I'll watch it. But what? Give us something, and Star Trek's the perfect thing to put it in that is 
tea time telly for the family to watch. A little anxiety that I have is that I don't have kids, but if I did, what would I watch with them at tea time? What would we sit down to? Yeah, I guess everyone just watches reruns of Next Generation. <laughs> Here's the thing I don't think they do. I think, well, yes, I assume nerds do. Mm -hmm. My concern is that I think I know exactly what normal families are watching. It's dancing competitions. Oh. That's what they're watching. It's it's thingy uh, strictly come dancing and then they probably tune into the american one and then they'll watch other it's reality tv is uh, which started out as this i mean i remember when big brother first came on here in the uk and i believe it was swedish wasn't it big brother yeah and so we'd heard about this thing that was on in sweden a few years before it came on in the uk and we were scandalized by the concept <laughs> it was it, it was it was something that just seemed like a kind of a hellscape future for TV. We already had a we already, we dipped our toes in it with uh, Noel Edmonds uh, on Saturday nights. He of the Mr. Blobby thing. He did a thing called NTV where each week he would go, okay, we're now going to go live to one of your houses, and everyone would sit there going like, oh, is it going to be mine? And the kids would be like, hey, it's going to be mine. In our family, we were perfectly safe because no one in our family was sufficiently unkind. But if someone thought it would be a laugh to uh, allow this, they would have got hidden cameras set up around their house. And Noel would cut to them on the sofa. And the person who the trick was on, who didn't know it was happening, would go, oh, it's Noel, I'm on the telly. And then they would be made to do silly things live on TV. And that was that was a such an unpleasant prank that when we heard about Big Brother, where it's like, no, really, there's going to be cameras in this house where people live. We were sort of torn between thinking it's the most horrible thing we'd ever heard and like, oh, we're all going to watch that in a really voyeuristic way. And it's kind of and that was what reality TV was. It was scandalous, exciting because of how like you shouldn't be allowed to watch it. Now it's what people watch with their kids. And I hate that because it hasn't changed. It's just that we've changed our like we've we've changed to to accept that this is a a, a part of horrible normal life now we've got nazis back and we've got reality tv and we're all just having to get used to that and it, and it's and we are doing <laughs> yeah <Ugh. laughs> do you remember big brother first coming on was there any was that scandalous there or? i think so I, I don't i have only vague memories of it i yeah. i remember thinking that oh this is shit i'm not gonna watch that yeah <laughs> I mean, honestly, the part of the thing here is that, like, the the scandal was, like, well, surely at some point you're going to see someone go to the toilet. <laughs> or, like, or take off their clothes. That can't go on the television. Like, what? who would sign up to that? There's, what sort of person would want to be on the television to the extent that instead of going through a, a grueling process of, like, learning to be a showman, and learning, you know, sort of stage skills and, and, and going through all that kind of process, that they just put their name on a list. And as long as they don't mind being seen having a shower on the television, they get to be on TV. That sort of person simply doesn't exist. And now that's most people. And it's awful. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I've been thinking recently about how weird I feel that when I started on YouTube, it was more or less the same as DeviantArt. It was something where if you happen to make something, you can put it there. Similar to how you could, I don't know, send the file to someone over IRC. This way, it would be like putting it in a place where people could stumble upon it 
as well. Now I'm in a world where I've got that. That is like I've set myself up as that and people kind of know me on YouTube. And there are people who are like aspiring to have their job be that. And the stuff they go through for that, the stuff, I mean, and of course, what I'm not suggesting that I have that. The stuff that to get like a career on YouTube that you have to do is so much more than anything I'd ever be prepared to do. It's like you do have to go and point at a, at a corpse in a Japanese forest. That's what you, you've got to do that. Like that, that was a stupid and horrible thing for the guy. To, no, it was a horrible thing for the guy to do. It wasn't a stupid thing for him to do. That's what you've got to do. If that's what you want your career to be, you've got to come up with something that's so far beyond what's acceptable that it will finally actually be noticed. That's what you've got to do. And that's what there are kids doing this children who don't know their minds yet because they're 20. you know, Oh, it's so gross that that's, that that's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I just thought of a great thing you could do to uh, yeah. boost your popularity on YouTube. Whenever oh, someone uh, says that uh, someone, uh, some dead celebrity is turning over in their grave for some reason, you could yeah. actually go and dig up their grave and uh, flip their yes. corpse over. Just turn it over. Yeah. yeah, that's not even that's not even desecration because like I'm leaving it in the grave. I'm not taking anything from the co- I'm not opening the coffin. Yeah. I'm just turning it upside down. Um, and yeah, the bones will like topple, but like they're bo- they're bones. Like they're, who's who's going to be like? Oh, I've got to keep this pristine in the box. Like I've got to not open the packaging on this one because it's got to be exactly like it's mint. You're not going to eBay it. Turn them over. They don't mind. Yeah, and I mean they might appreciate it that they've been laying in the same orientation yes. all this time. Imagine that. Hmm. Yeah, imagine if you were lying because. Yeah, it's there is no. Have you noticed there's no neutral human body position? Like we we fold the arms over the skeleton. That is not a neutral position to be in. If you had your arms like that for long enough, your arms would go to sleep. You'd hate it. Yeah. I suppose honestly, I sp- uh, honestly, a neutral body position sort of involves placing the hands over the genitals. That's quite a neutral position, isn't it? Um, so that's what they should do. They should do that because and you know when because the first like. What goes first, clothes or flesh? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because if it's clothes, then, then you, you know, you don't want to be... Imagine if you were lying... Imagine if someone positioned you. You're in a coma, right? Someone's positioned you on a bed with your hands up here. No, put them over the old junk. It's going to be... Once your clothes have rotted away, you're going to want that covering up. Maybe skeletons feel the same way about, like, their pelvic bones. So you uh, pop the hands over there. Much kinder. Um, and, of course, if you turn them over, it's... Sorted. Everyone's got everyone's got a skelly bum. Yeah. There's nothing to be embarrassed about there on the back. This is the defense you could use when people call you out on doing it. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah it's, yeah, it's bulletproof. Yeah, and 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 it, I'm not sure what I'm going to do about the police because I think it is a crime, and it, there's not going to be any denying it because I will have filmed the process. I mean, I'll have. I mean, let's face it. There's going to have to be a team because I'm. I don't think I'm strong enough to turn a coffin over. At least not without, you know, digging a wider grave around it, maybe using a lever, and that's I'll get caught in that time. So I think there'd be have to I'd have to have people helping me. So we'd all be culpable and we'd all be on film. Um, but but uh, that's the price of fame, isn't it? Yeah, and it's okay if you make it funny. Oh, is it? Do they? Yeah. Is there a? Oh, can you tell the judge that and be like, yeah, but it was funny though, and then judge be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, okay, I think we're all right then. Yeah, don't away. <laughs> Uh, instead of watching Doctor Who, I watched. Um, I later watched just various kind of mid bud, mid low budget films, and I also played some mid and low budget games. And these were all 
way better than Doctor Who. And it reminded me that there's a lot of games and movies and art in general that has no prestige whatsoever, but they're made by really competent and passionate artists that are kind of targeting a very narrow niche. Yeah. And they're controlling their budget and scope so that they only need to reach this smaller audience and they can still make all their money back and make a profit and whatever. But uh, the cost is that nobody hears about the thing they're doing, but they can still continue making games uh, or movies or whatever. And uh, I think this is like the majority of games and movies, but we never hear about them. But yeah, there's so many. I mean, when you, when you really, the lowest, the closest to that, but that it's just enough that we have heard of them is, is probably Wadjai, right? They're Pretty working much. with that sort of philosophy, but they just happen to be in a sphere where we have heard of them. Yeah, uh, they're a good example because most people have never heard of them. E- even people who I think should have played one of their games usually... Like me, ha- I haven't. Yeah, uh, most there's a lot of people who haven't. Like people who are like... Fans of 90s point-and-click adventures. Like, I was watching someone on Twitch playing, like, The Dig. And I mentioned that, oh, have you played in Wagitai games? And they were like, no. It's like, you're playing, I think it was in 2017, like, a point-and-click adventure game from start to finish. And you haven't played or even considered playing any of the modern ones? Yeah. And I thought, it's like, you live such an empty life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they and the Wadjet I people deserve to be more famous than they are because, like, um, the closest I've seen in the last few years to a uh, you know edging into the mainstream point and click adventure has been those ones. And I can't even remember the name now, but there was like a trilogy or maybe more of them. They were quite cartoony looking. They kind of looked like the next logical step in point and click adventure games, but they had all this latent racism and and sort of like. Cards Against Humanity humor in them, and the people who made them seem I seem to remember turned out not to be very nice. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? There was they were advertised quite heavily on Steam for a while, or at least to me. Yeah, I remember. I I, I haven't played any of them, but I read uh, the John. I nearly Walker's, did. Very uh, nearly did. Yeah, I, I read John Walker's reviews of them because it, it was like a trilogy of games uh, made in Germany. And uh, I remember the review of the third one was a pretty scathing review, and the lead writer of the game showed up in the comments in Rock Paper Shotgun and tried to defend himself. <laughs> That's always a good idea, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> Very good idea on all occasions. Yep. I feel like I'm. I always, whenever that happens, I examine myself and I think, if it was me, can I honestly say I wouldn't do that? And I think what I've decided is, no, I can't honestly say I wouldn't do that. So my decision is that if, if I'm ever in that situation, in, I, I will show up, but it'll be to say, like, oh, okay, how can I improve, rather than to defend myself. Because I don't think I'd be able to fully hold off the urge to show up. Yeah, I mean, there, it's, it's not a problem per se to show up and uh, comment and say, that, hello, I made this thing. Yeah. It's all in how emotional and... Uh, reasonable are you you being there (laughs) yeah how defensive are you how much do you show that you're not going to learn yeah how how similar are you to phil fish yeah i mean a lot of people just aren't ready to deal with audience responses to whatever they're doing honestly that's yes i mean uh, 
once again we hit upon a problem with the internet like the entire artistic creative earth literally everyone who's ever done anything you've enjoyed creatively and artistically did it because they needed to be told that they were good like that it's where it comes from there's this thing in us that goes like hey i reckon i could do this and i reckon i'd be good at it and if i did people would like it and that's what it is so when you do something and everyone hates it it can be incredibly um i don't know it can feel super duper 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 bad hmm. so anyway i might as well like bang through some of the mid-budget things i watched so yes, one please. of them is uh, the night comes for us an indonesian uh, martial arts action movie on netflix huh. it's like it's a mediocre story but the action choreography is outstanding, and it is oh. one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Where, like, how do we how do we measure violence in this case? Because I've seen we've all seen some pretty violent movies. Uh, the main character, one of the main characters, having like a knife fight and having their fingers sliced off. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So, you know, in action movies, people say, "Oh, you you need to have." And um, the main character needs to like take damage and become hurt, and they they take this to the uh, to another level here, where the, the damage th that our heroes in the film uh, suffer is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, just hearing you say that has made me suddenly reevaluate. Like we always knew that in your ordinary action-based film or or bit in something, the hero gets punched and just immediately acts as if they hadn't been punched except they're angrier and they've got like maybe a little patch of red on them somewhere. Um, and, and yeah, usually in fights, there are people punching each other like hundreds of times. And the fight just carries on as if each one was just like a, a preliminary slap. Whereas in real life, a punch, like the whole point of a, but the whole point of a punch is it's the quickest way to make a person be not in your face anymore. Like not near you anymore. People fall down from punches or they, do you know what I mean? It like it usually ends the fight. One punch usually, and so yeah. The, now I realize how I always realize how ridiculous it was. But just that thing to measure it against, like yeah, like in I don't know uh, a Marvel film, let's say when the men are yep. punching each other. I know they're super strong, but that's why they should be able to do incredible damage to each other. I just. I see. I'm I'm in danger with that line of thinking of of stepping towards a Snyder way of thinking. But then even he, Batman and Superman didn't didn't actually injure each other, did they? No. I mean, superhero fights are just people punching each other. They fly across the room and maybe t through some buildings, and then the only damage comes when uh, kind of at the end of the fight, mm. where you have some dramatic tension. But apart from that, it's just a bunch of CG showing off. Whereas yeah, in the, the night really? comes for us. The fight choreography is very carefully put together by pretty much the most competent people in the field uh, right now. Because uh, Indonesia gave us uh, the raid, and oh. uh, these are pretty much the same people, except now they're at like they're even better at what they're doing. The only problem here is the, the storytelling. It's it's mediocre. So this is for genre fans. So if you're someone right. who has watched loads of like martial arts movies and can really appreciate a movie with fantastic action choreography, some of the best ever, um, then this is highly recommended. But the story is not good enough to recommend to just anyone. So this falls right in line where it's like 
this is for genre fans, but for fans of the genres, it's very satisfying and uh, enjoyable. So, beautiful job there. And uh, another film kind of like this is Upgrade. Um, it's a movie that came, I think, in 2018. It's a low-budget, Bloomhouse uh, sci-fi film. It is the studio that gives us loads of like shitty horror movies. Uh, but this is a sci-fi film. Uh, a man is uh, crippled and uh, gets like a cybernetic implant. And uh, it turns out the, the implant has a mind of his own. So he can wander around trying to get uh, revenge <laughs> on the people that uh, wronged him. And uh, also has built a relationship with this implant. And it has kind of plans beyond uh, just being uh, an, an implant for uh, someone who's crippled. I mean... It's the story is again just fine. There's loads of scenes that are just kind of dumb and, but for someone who's like a fan of cyberpunk sci-fi stuff, dark future stuff, it there's enough little nice touches in it with the future technology and a lot of like flashy technology just for technology's sake. Where it's like this makes no sense that someone would actually design their home or a lab like this, but they did it because it looks cool. It's a again for a certain type of audience, this is fun and satisfying. But again, it's not for a general audience. But it was, I think, like a three million dollar film, and it made like twenty one million dollars in the cinema. So it's like a great success. But if this was like if they'd spent more money on this, it would have been a disaster. But they didn't need to. They knew they boiled it down to the essentials and uh, played some games like this. Like Overload is a game like this. It's uh, a spiritual sequel to Descent and Descent Two and Descent Three games from the nineties. They were mm -hmm. six degrees of freedom shooters, <laughs> where your spaceship flying around in low gravity and on the moon bases. Yeah. And it was basically a gimmick of, hey, we have we've invented 3D and now you can look up and down. So what do we do with this? We make a sh game where you fly around in bases. And the people who made Descent 1, 2, and 3 and also the music to Descent 1, 2, and 3 came back and made, kick-started and made another one. And it's fantastic it's it, i think it proves that this idea wasn't just a gimmick there was actually life left in this genre they they, they didn't bring descent back and just made it as good as descent instead it made a descent that kind of builds on the older ones and it's clearly better than the older ones the the movement and the level design everything is better than the older ones so it's a uh, Kind of like when Yamato 2199 came out and they didn't make a remake of an old anime that was just like the old anime. Instead, they made it as good as they remembered it being. Like, as good as they thought it was when they watched it as children. So this is kind of this approach they took here where uh, they made a remake of Descent as good as kind of they thought it was when they played it as when they were naive but now do you have to execute at a higher level because we're older yeah. and more mature and uh, refined in our perception of what's happening so that's kind of how they made this and i'm just astonished like at the quality of the level design because it's basically the same premise in every level it's like 
you have to blow up a reactor and uh, rescue some colonists and that's what you do in every single level but the level design it's they show such a broad kind of vocabulary you know, of level design like styles of levels of like how you can make a level how you can just play with enemy placements and scales and how to make a level in complexity and uh, is it maze like is it straightforward how do you make like a puzzle and th there's a lot more to level design than uh, you'd think from playing like i don't know, mass effect 2 where it's like oh it's a bunch of chest high walls and then you run down a corridor no there's a you can make astonishing variation in uh, how to make a level and it's kind of reminds me of like there's this is like an art and a skill there's a high skill ceiling and this is like the masters of their art working here and uh, you can really show that they have decades of experience because it's way better than anything they did in the 90s but still this is a genre no one gives a shit about like i don't care how much money you'd throw at like a spiritual sequel to descent i i think everyone would just shrug at it so they made something where they could sell like 200,000 copies and it would be a smashing success for them and uh, i think they nailed it and again for for the audience this is intended for this makes them more happy than any broad audience big budget title could ever make them like assassin's creed call of duty battlefield whatever they're they're aimed at the broadest possible audience but they only make everyone kind of mildly happy at best but with something lower budget but narrowly focused you can make it someone's everyone you can make someone's ho real hopes and dreams come true but there's only a narrow slice of people where it, that applies to so anyway <laughs> i'm happy all this stuff is being made yeah it's nice that we're now in a world where that can be made yeah. you don't have to have a gigantic audience to justify it anymore yeah i mean if a new settlers game came out it would only meet modest success at best because that's if, what if peter if it is happening Oh, <laughs> not I, I. I come bearing settlers news. We've well, it's been a while actually. A while ago, they announced that yes, there's a new settlers game. It's coming next year, towards the end of next year. Um, it's just called the Settlers. It looks great. Um, they have just re-released all the previous settlers games as a big pack, but in a way, but not in a gog way. In a way where it's all like fully updated and stuff, which is good news for me because I have been unable to get settlers three for to stream and i was trying to stream my way through them six has never been fully compatible with like widescreen monitors so i've never played it in its correct aspect ratio they've now fixed that it's you know four plus um and um uh yeah no there's a new settlers game coming out and uh they're currently working on a new anno game not set in space like a proper old-fashioned anno game so it's actually gonna be quite a big 2019 for settling yeah <laughs> and nobody's gonna know that yeah very few people in the world are gonna play it um what's the other one i'm looking forward to let me i'm gonna have to look on my uh steam wish list because there's a game that i really need to get uh where's my steam wish list oh good they've moved where the wish list is good view my wish no no okay i can't find my wish list anymore they've moved it but there's a um there's a game on steam anyway uh which is like a, almost a remake of the original Settlers, but with little robots that look like um, that look like the mopping up robot from Wally. -E. Mm. Absolutely brilliant! Cannot wait to play that. Yeah, and yes, yeah, so now and then, 
I see people who are very dissatisfied with high budget games where they've been playing games maybe for decades and then they feel like am I done with games because every high budget release makes them unhappy I feel like they should all kind of aim downward go for more niche appeal games because that's where they'll find something that really speaks to them because like any yeah. any wadget game I feel is has had so much more emotional resonance with me like than like any recent high budget game because like I don't know the, the style of the music the style of the writing the, the, the style of just how everything's put together it's so much more uh, how I'd like it to be than if I bought Assassin's Creed where it's like very broad strokes and it's just kind of it's built the game is built to just hit on impulsive pleasures like hitting a loop of like oh you you want to compulsively do these quests but there's nothing of depth there really you could be right there yeah yeah i think they i think the the two recent assassin's creeds kind of push that a bit further by being like if you are already inherently interested in these settings then there's something for you here yeah um, and they're settings that most people are a bit interested in so they've got a bit more going for them but but yeah, that's that's what the DNA of the series is, certainly. Yeah, and I think it's just... It comes with games becoming too high budget. There's like a sweet spot mm. where you have uh, still maximum artistic integrity, but you also have really great production value. I think uh, From Software is right in that sweet spot. Where mm. the, the, yeah. 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 Um, although it pushes a bit out of that, I think Horizon Zero Dawn is an example of, of that done well because mm. it's yes it, it looks exactly like a big budget game and specifically it looks like Tomb Raider but with just a bit more with the robots with a, apparently very good story I haven't finished yet but apparently it's good the, the just the sort of acting and so on it's all quite good but that so that's like towards the Assassin's Creed Tomb Raider end of things but also it has this feel of well it's not part of a big series there's no automatic reason to buy this game which is one of the i think one of the factors that you know a triple a game by it's like do you already own three of these like that are you it's when you're just going to buy it because you keep buying them rather than anything else but yeah um yeah i think this mostly applies to like yearly franchises that that's yeah. uh, where uh, creativity really goes to die <laughs> <laughs> but that's when you have the most amount of like uh, executive meddling creative decisions made by someone who did a bunch of focus tests and showing you in a spreadsheet what's popular with children today yeah like i don't know everything published by activision <laughs> well that's the thing and i think that the problem that we okay the problem that we face is that because we grew up when this whole industry started yes. and so partly because of our age but Partly because actually the AAA games coming out at the time, like I don't know, Lemmings and stuff, actually was made like any Bullfrog game was actually made by people who like really were making something very good because no one essentially knew what they were doing, so there's no giant industry stopping them from doing something good. Um, we still feel obliged to know about the same games that you're, you know that your average sort of 12-year-old is into 
and 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 to and we feel obliged to feel just as excited about them as them so when you know okay go back to assassin's creed even though the last two of them you know have been pretty great by all accounts the fact that we were on tenterhooks to find out whether they were any good at all is a problem we have and yes we sh- y- y- so like yeah we should all be interested in wadget eye rather than ea um in the same way that you know I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's an analogy in anything else, in books or films. I suppose in films there is. There's like Marvel. Yeah. And uh, like, I mean, shouldn't we be to... paying more attention to the Coen brothers than we do to Marvel, for instance? That I'm sure there's a more apps name, but I'm old, so Coen brothers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm uh, guilty of the crime here of going and watching like Ant-Man and Doctor yeah. Strange in the theater. I mean, yeah, there's no need to do that. Yeah, spectac- no to some extent, spectacle does work. So I guess that's, yeah. that's why they do it. It's just uh, you go away from it thinking, well, that could have been better. <laughs> yeah, um, I've managed to get over that. I think the last time I saw a Marvel film in the cinema was, I can't even remember, it was absolutely yonks ago. However, the next time I see a Marvel film in the cinema will be this month, because you bet I'm going to see this Spider-Man animated film. For oh, Jack. yeah. Absolutely no question about it. I'm definitely going. That's just been greenlit. A uh, sequel to that one, by the way. And also an all-female spin-off. Yeah. Don't but, know what uh, that means. But that I guess that means we'll get one good movie and then they'll be like milking it and franchising it. And it's like, oh, no, they'll be, I yeah. guess, 80% as good as this first one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. But whatever. The first one cannot wait. And although, I don't know, that's not necessarily true, because look who it is. Like, the Marvel films are a stellar example of, let's just keep making more of these, but they don't really tremendously fall off in quality. I mean, I'm of the opinion that none of them have been as good as Iron Man, the first one, but there hasn't then been a... It hasn't been worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And to do that in animation would be something very interesting to look at, because I can't think of anyone who's managed it ever. Um, yeah, I mean, especially like in Western animation. Mm. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, sequels for animated films in Western animation has been universally <laughs> kind of bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm struggling to think of any exceptions to that other than Toy Story. Um, yeah, that, I haven't seen Bambi two, but Bam, d- that's a tricky one because actually Bambi two is quite good, <laughs> but. <laughs> The other Disney sequels are better to pick on. Um, but no, for example, okay, uh, Rescuers Down Under. That was good. But it wasn't like a sequel in the same sense. Like, there was no... You weren't expected to watch the first one. It wasn't brought out because the first one did a certain amount of money and now we've got to have another one two years later. It really was absolutely randomly. Uh, we're just going to do another thing with these characters. There really are very few... I mean, honestly, this is something me and Jahan have talked about on Serious Disney's. We're really looking forward to seeing what Frozen 2 is because that will be quite unprecedented in the history of, well, of animation, but only if you keep up with things. So, like, to us, we'll be like, Disney have never done this before. Most people will go, like, Toy Story 2. Cars 2. Of course, that's like Pixar, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It will be interesting. Sorry, what did you say then? Cars 2. (laughs) Well... That's the thing. So not even <laughs> Pixar can do it with any... It's amazing that Toy Story 3 was quite good because Cars 2 wasn't. So it, it must be the 
it must be something else other than the company and the sequel, you know? Yeah, and uh, are they still making Toy Story 4? Not only are they still making it, we've just recently had the first trailers. Oh. It's coming out. It really is happening, and it's just... It shouldn't. It shouldn't happen. Yeah, th- 3 was the perfect ending. Yep. Um, the the plot is going to be something along the lines of they go to a fun fair. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Actually, but... no, that's not fair. Let me look it up. Because I, I think there has been a, a plot uh, described to us. And I'm going to mm. find out what it is. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So what it is, is that the girl that they ended up with in Toy Story 3 has started creatively making her own toys. Um, and, the, and the one that we've seen so far... You know how Americans, for whatever reason, have for years labored under the delusion that the spork is in some way an interesting or funny object that exists in the world yes um i don't know where they got this idea i assume a stand-up comedian made a joke about it and then it just became part of their culture i don't understand what what it is it the word spork yeah whatever well anyway we have this new character called sporky oh sorry forky uh who is a plastic spork but and this is an interesting concept i'll give them this the girl has attached googly eyes to it attach pipe cleaners to it to make arms and like facial features I think are made out of elastic bands and stuff she's made her own toy and the, the, the premise here is that's now a toy so that is now alive so she is sort of like a a, a, a good aligned version of Sid from the first one cr- crafting monstrosities which then have to live um, and so this film is in some way going to address that concept didn't need doing um and they're going to go to a fun fair and they're going to go on a road trip and it'll be like the first one was a road trip movie this new one will be a road trip movie so far that does not sound good to me at all however i say the same every time disney bring out a trailer and i'm usually proven wrong yeah like how i have absolutely zero interest in the new wreck it ralph even though it's ostensibly marketed directly towards me it's got internet nostalgia jokes and it's got you know video game nostalgia jokes both of those things really they are for me but if if you're going to make a movie with internet nostalgia (laughs) jokes i would have liked them to hire low tax as co-writer or at least no not at least better than that neil ciceriga he's a guy who's been there this is the man who made Animutations. This is a man who still right now is at the forefront of doing good stuff on the internet. Get that, and, and I don't know how to pronounce Cicerega, but get him on there. Get Colin Mockery in. You know what I mean? There's there's all sorts of stuff you can do. But what instead of that they seem to have done, and this is what I'm worried about from the trailer, is it seems to be one part like really obvious jokes about the internet, most of which are like in under construction is one of the jokes. And it's like, Really, that's you're doing an under construction joke 20 years more after that was a relevant thing, 25 at least years after that was a relevant thing. Um, but of course, in context in the film, that might be the point. They might be in an old internet area. I might find that really funny. I found it very funny in the Lego movie when they flashed up a reference to Fabuland, a line of Lego toys that I had as a small child and have never been they were released for about three months, never been seen since. Brilliant. If that's what this is, great. But the other part seems to be reverence for corporate logos. Uh, there's a bit with the, the characters looking around at like Google and Apple logos and going, wow, it's all so magical. Again, that could be done ironically in the actual film. 
I'll see. I'm getting reviews from people who've seen it saying it was wonderful. They came out in floods of tears. It was brilliant. So you never know. Never know with Disney. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was disappointed in the first one when I watched it. Me too. Years after it came out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It wasn't, wasn't that clever as uh, Lego Batman, for example. No, not by a long way. No. Yeah. No. And, and, that, and Lego Batman should have been a phoned-in, like, oh, I guess we'll reuse these assets. Like, whatever. I think there even was a Lego Batman DVD already out that is essentially what the Lego Batman movie could have been. But no, it was really good. Yeah. So And so could this be. And people are saying it is. It's just that Disney make, and, and have for as long as I can remember, well, that's not true, and have for as long as I've been an adult, made trailers that seemed deliberately aimed to sabotage their films and make them look like pieces of crap made by early days DreamWorks rather than the good films that they often tend to be. Disney films pr- are pretty much at least baseline fine um, almost every time. I agree about Wreck-It Ralph. I find it... it's uh, The last time I watched it, I did enjoy it. Mm. But the first and second time I watched it, mm, wasn't really into it. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the most obvious example of um, <laughs> upcoming uh, Disney films that the, the trailer make him look like pieces of crap the live-action Lion King. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> the live-action Lion King is coming, and it's it really has sparked this sort of confusion among people online because I follow a lot of artists and cartoonists, and for us, this is an existential blow. This really is... Because um, on the one hand, we... Do like this stuff. We are, we are, we are, we're all going to watch it. Everyone who's ever picked up a pencil will watch this film. For sure. Will you watch this film? I guess. But from, from what I saw in the trailer, I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, here's familiar imagery. But now the uh, perspective is like realistic and correct. So like... So the, all the meanings lost. Yeah. Like the, the animals looking up at the cliff and it's like, oh, it it looks small now it looks realistic and the way they're gathered around looks realistic like all the power of the original imagery has like been diluted because it's like yeah. it's following uh, the rules of like 3d space <laughs> yeah yeah and it doesn't need to because it's not real it is all cg and that that is another side of this by the way we all all of us who are like uh oh, but we miss animation have to acknowledge this is animation. Every every aspect of this is nothing real. Yep. Nobody's filming in a jungle here. Um, so amazing work by the people who've done it. Or is it? Because it's amazing work in terms of how much hard work it is and how I, we can't imagine creating it ourselves. But to look at, Rafiki looks horrible. That- yeah. I mean... The, the the impression I got just from the coloring and contrast was like okay, so it's more realistic, but it's like it's so bleak and flat. Like when they're, they're yeah. up on the cliff, looking down on all the animals, and it's just kind of f- flat daylighting. And it's like so undramatic. It's yes, re- when in the, in the original film, um, there are shades of blue that still represent the Lion King's like color palette. Like there, it it was so striking, and it had such strong particularly color like there are there there are reds in that film and there are blues in that film that will forever be associated with that film um and that's amazing like 
no, almost no films can claim that. And then this one is coming along, and of course it's it can make the point that, well, that's not the statement we're making. Well, this is a completely different sort of film. That we're, in this film, what we're doing is we're going, well, what if we were constrained by presenting a realistic world without those excesses? How can we create a spectacle that way? And I'm sure it's going to look like a, a nature documentary or something, but don't really want that. <laughs> yeah, and if you're going to make it in nature documentary style, which it looks like they're doing, it's why reuse all the same shots? Why not be more creative in kind of reimagining so it's like, oh, it's the Lion King, but like you've never seen it before. Instead, it's it's the Lion King exactly like you saw it before, except now it looks like a nature documentary, so it's just worse. <laughs> I mean, the opening shot of the teaser where you have one of the most iconic openings in, in animation history, the sun, the sunrise. Yeah. Just just a sunrise, a normal sunrise. Uh, nothing interesting or striking about it at all. Yep. <laughs> and to the point where, like, that, you know, if uh, literally not having seen it, if you told me that that was a joke put together by someone else using a, uh, a famous sunrise from Apocalypse Now, I would believe it. Because it just looks real, it just looks normal. Um, and... You know, with the with the requisite amount of like, it, it, okay, let me take that back a bit because what it does look like is impressive photography. If you were watching a nature documentary, you go like, great work. If you were the if you were the camera crew who captured that sunrise, great work. But you're comparing it to The Lion King, and yep. <laughs> that was a heralded then and hasn't re, hasn't been reduced by time as one of the heights of. 2d animation just in terms of like i don't know just just memorability really and 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 how striking it was and so on um this just looks like any film (laughs) and that's the point and that's the that's what's impressive about it and that's what they're going for and yes okay part of me is impressed by how they have taken realistic looking footage and they've created the lion king from it but I would be equally impressed and I and I would believe I would equally believe that it could be done if someone had gone through the the whole of say the BBC's planet earth and cut together the bits that most resembled the lion king and recreated the lion king re- recreated the circle of life out of that that's what this looks like and that's what they're going for but also it's like yeah but just someone on YouTube could have done it <laughs> without spending all this money <laughs> and because we got beauty and the beast it's so yeah. easy to be cynical about this because yeah. it's like, oh, we've seen you do this before. And now it just looks like you're doing it again. It's like you're half-ass phoning it in. Well, so yes, I agree with that. But that brings me... I've, I've done my whining. Mm. I've done some of my whining. There's more whining to come. But yep. this is directed by John Favreau, who did The Jungle Book. And The Jungle Book was good. Mm. Uh, we watched that, that. We haven't brought our episode out yet, so you won't have heard much that I have to say about it. But... The Jungle Book is a, a quite gripping film, and it all the way through, um, it, it, it's essentially an audition for The Lion King. It constantly, all the way through, makes its case for it being a completely separate film, not just a retread of the, the previous Disney Jungle Book, and it brings in lots of imagery from The Lion King to to like essentially tell you, like, when we do The Lion King, you can trust us. There is, for example... Um, a uh, 
not buffalo what are they called the stampede in the lion king yes they go on they they go on they go on a stampede in the jungle book now that's from the book that's from the jungle book uh so that's why they do it but it also just happens to be the sort of imagery that you're you're looking forward to from the lion king and they and they do it all very well but and this is the important thing the story itself plays well it is a it, gripping story the storytelling works and it's not the same as in the jungle book which suggests to me that the lion king is going to be a worthy retread it is actually going to be its own thing the story will be a little bit changed just enough that it feels original and it's going to be fine and it's going to be good i suspect that these shots were either picked or put into the film in the first place for the purpose of making this teaser and making it appear to be a shot-for-shot remake. I don't think it will be. And even if it is, John Favreau, who directed Iron Man, he makes good films. So, yes. I think... Did he direct Iron Man? I think he did, right? Yeah. And uh, these shots could just be for the sake of uh, either the trailer or for just these set pieces that look similar. And if, like... Every other shot in the film is different and the story is told differently. Could be worthwhile. It's just that this first trailer just makes it look really bad. <laughs> it does. It does. And this is where uh, this is where the thing about the artists comes in. Um, we're having this weird reaction to this because on the one hand, we've been waiting our whole lives for this. It, there's a There's a sense of this being like, I don't know, not just like, oh, we remember this and here's nostalgia, but like, no, this wasn't just a kid's film. It was honestly really good. It was a real step forward in terms of all sorts of various stuff. And it really was striking and it really had good stuff in it. And here, in a sense, is this film saying, and we're going to prove it by presenting this in this new way and proving that it stands up as a live action film and so on and so on and so on. And then at the same time, those exact same sentiments are what make us feel really crummy about this because the art of 2D animation is gone. This is the studio that took it away. Disney um, could, if they wanted, have continued putting money into 2D animation and and they proved that when whenever they have done it. The Princess and the Frog, Winnie the Pooh, both really good. Um, but they didn't. They, they burned... They threw away the desks belonging to the great masters of this craft. And we all said, well, okay, but admittedly CG is the way forward. And we have uh, Tangled, we, where they've taken all of the things they know about 2D animation, applied them to 3D, and it's like nothing changed. It's great. Yeah, but just that sentence, uh, yeah, 3D is the way forward. No, that, that, that's really an arbitrary decision. Because, exactly. Yeah. Japan still makes high-budget 2D animated films now and then, and every time you see them like doing their best work, you kind of just look around like, what the hell? Yeah, you, exactly. Disney could have been doing this as well, but they're choosing not to. <laughs> and here's the thing: it will, it will have a comeback. Disney will go yeah. back to 2D because people my age are now in charge of Disney. We're not in charge, but they're the animators. Yes. Soon they'll be in charge. We all miss the Disney Renaissance. It will come back. The problem is, will we still know how to do it? Because all animation right now, I don't know if you saw a, a little while ago, there was a, a thread being passed around animation circles about uh, making fun of their teachers at animation school who stopped them drawing anime. 
and they all everyone came in with these anime portfolios because they'd all grown up on the internet and DeviantArt and they'd uh, and they were I, I'm, I'm not talking about like badass I'm talking about the really good ones they learned they are now animators and they were essentially jeering and making fun of their teachers because they're like well now I th this is my job I got my first job uh, animating an anime style thing we all worked on this show and that show anime style is big and while this was going on I didn't say anything because have your day but I sort of was going oh no because those teachers they were saying don't draw anime that year another year it would have been another thing what don't draw anime stands for is don't draw the thing you can already draw go step away from that go into the basics go into finding out the like where it and luckily of course they all did and they all learned life drawing which i didn't i'm not speaking as someone who did this and is old and crotchety that other kids aren't i didn't do this i wish i had but they all did they learned their life drawing they learned their fundamentals and they applied it to the style they liked the best which at the time was anime and now they're all working in it my question is though that is great though it can be a markedly different art form than the one that we've lost and that we are at some point want to go back to what they were doing in pinocchio was amazing what they were doing in the lion king was amazing and it is not what they're doing in she-ra and and it's not what they're doing in well actually that was a bit of a low blow because they're that's the designs in that are interesting uh, from what i've seen the animation isn't isn't too high budget but i don't know what's the um voltron something like that the yakoras the the uh, the, the the places where anime has come over to the west yeah it's starting to feel like it's all we can do now because <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> the current generation of animators did grow up on anime and it's like well that's all well and good and i love it personally but we are going to want to branch out at some point, and I'm worried that the next thing, all the old men will have died. I, I'm worried about that. So meanwhile, Disney, they they took master animator Glenn Keane's desk and they threw it in a skip. They took Andreas Deja, he of Scar and Jafar, threw it in a skip, or burned it. Accounts vary. They got rid of the desks. They didn't, they didn't give them to animation colleges that was the big thing at the time they were all saying like uh give them to us they're like no these grand masters who you've spent your lives idolizing we're simply going to to pull apart their offices and throw them away and now now we're going to remake their films and and that's where it hurts that's where this little pin goes into our hearts because it's like remember the thing that you've based your life around loving it it was a a bad first draft we got now we can do it real now we can really make the lion king we can actually make it now forget all that nonsense that we were like when we were trying it out with those drawings for children forget that here's the lion king and of course it isn't that and it will have a much shorter lasting legacy than does the original lion king because that's what's happened with beauty and the beast but then again beauty and the beast was bad and the original was good what if this is good all the signs point to it being good because it's made by john favreau he's good his jungle book was good which is like two steps away from being the lion king what if it's really good does that bury 2d animation forever is that it is that the final nail in the coffin of our like i nearly said childhoods but that that plays it down careers is another way of saying it passions is another way of saying it um to those of us who are actually cartoonists and illustrators and so on and the reason we are is because of the disney renaissance which there's a strong argument that that's... I, I, I would go... I would say no in my case, but in Abby's case, 
uh, she was big on the Lion King. It really was a big reason for her drawing. Um, and she has, she's the one out of us who's got the successful art career. Um, so like, who am I to talk? So for a lot of us, these films that are currently being sort of like swept away are important and it feels bad that they are. And really the only saving grace is that we're told all the time, oh, don't worry, it won't, it, it doesn't get rid of the original. Well, we'll see because our, we'll di- it's all up to whether or not Disney continue to sell them. Um, because that was what was wrong with the Star Wars special editions. Nothing was wrong with them as a piece of art. And I can tell you as someone who was there, great day out at the cinema. You know, it was really fun to watch like it, what what felt like. Yeah, OK. It felt like the equivalent of playing like a Lego Star Wars game where it's like, how is how are they going to retreat this material? But that was in itself a reason to be in the cinema. It was great. The problem was that they never sold the original again. We don't know what will happen. I suspect everything will be fine. And this Disney will just keep selling The Lion King as ever and it will all be fine. But they've got they've put Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride now. He's there now. You can't get rid of that now. Even even when allegations of sexual misconduct. Oh no, it wasn't sexual. It was it was physical misconduct for him. Even when those allegations come up, Pirates of the Caribbean, a historic milestone in like the art of animatronics and theme park rides, that is still marred by the presence of Johnny Depp. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah. So this is your Star Wars prequels moment. Kind of. Um, yeah. Could be. Could be. And by yeah. the way, personally speaking, I'm actually fine with it. I'm. I'm. I'm almost. I've got these two people in me. I've got the 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 kid who was totally super duper into these films and would have absolutely embraced this. This is the kid who will I, I've never forgotten how it felt to see the first pictures of Ninja Turtles that I ever saw and I've still got those first pictures. I I I found them just the other day. I've kept them all this time later because I made the boy who brought in a page pulled out of the sun, a terrible newspaper, but but you know the one most in a position to print full color photographs uh, and and talk about Ninja Turtles as if it was news in 1990 for adults. Um, I I made him give me the page because I was so amazed by what I was seeing. Found it just the other day. So that kid, the Popeye fan, the Mario fan, who inherently likes live action films based on cartoon properties he's into would be all about this. And then, of course, there's the other side of that, which is the cartoon fan, who's seeing cartoons as an art form be... It's like an attempt at an invasion. It's like seeing the map change colour. It's You know what I mean? This is... this. Well, it's not. It's nothing like that, because that's horrible and war and stuff. But you know what I mean? <laughs> in, the, in purest terms of just literally the detachment of seeing a map change colour... This is like that. This is like, oh no, now it's changed and the world doesn't want cartoons anymore and now it wants this. And as a result, not only are we getting CG films, which there was a time when I felt bad about CG films taking over from animated films, but at least it felt like, hey, whatever, it's a different thing. It's not a different thing anymore. These are the same films and they're being replaced. Um, All I can hope for is that the cultural footprint of those old films is sufficient that they can't be replaced. Yeah, I don't think they can be. They're simply too good. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll, that's we'll why. See. I, that's why my my worry is that this will be good. But I, I, you know, if I like this film, 
that's when I'm going to have a little crisis. Yeah. Well, it's okay, Dave. The, the future of Western 2D animation is uh, horrible shows on Netflix like Castlevania. Oh, God, I don't like Castlevania. <laughs> I didn't like it. Uh, you, did you, I can't remember. Did you dislike that, Ben, as well? It's, it was really mediocre and trashy. Yeah, I did, I, it, this is perhaps the only thing I can think of where I got to the final episode and got bored halfway through the final episode of something. It's like, well, usually once you got to that point, just watch it. But I couldn't. It was so boring. And like, <laughs> and again, oh, by the way, and I, I always want to establish this, and I wish there was a shorter way of saying it that I could just say like a little pithy catchphrase. Whenever I criticize anything that is an artistic expression in any way, I am delighted for everyone who got a paycheck. I'm very happy for everyone who worked on it. Great. Especially in this economy. Do your work. It's Your work is great. In all of these things. In Castlevania, some wonderful work. In The New Lion King, some wonderful work, I'm sure. That is different from me not liking it and criticizing it and wishing that things could be different, you know? Yeah. I um, mean, it was work in service of just whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so, for example... I've heard an interview with and liked uh, one of the men who uh, made the awful, horrible, ruined society uh, Michael Bay Transformers oh. uh, films. You know, one of the animators stroke designers on that was on a podcast I happen to be listening to. I know you've uh, watched talks by people who worked on that and you yep. found them to be very interesting. Uh, great. Nothing against any of those people. Much against the existence of the product. Yeah. I mean, as just a technical exercise of solving the problem of making the visuals happen on screen. Yeah, that, that's a lot of fun. The yeah. films themselves, um, you, you kind of wish that at least 1% of the work and thought that went into the visuals would have gone to the story. And this is why I'm feeling good about The Lion King. I don't, mm. think, it, I don't think it's going to be an em empty exercise in redrawing the same pictures that we've already seen, which Beauty and the Beast was. Um, but in Beauty and the Beast's case, they 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 tried to differentiate themselves by going, how can we reimagine these things to look halfway realistic? They shouldn't have done that. In The Lion King, they already look realistic. There are no talking teapots in The Lion King. There's only talking lions. And we've already established that we'll put up with talking animals in The Jungle Book, which did it subtly and well enough that the, the fact that they were talking fitted in with the realistic nature documentary visuals. Have you seen the Favreau Jungle Book? No. I, on, I only heard pretty much universally positive things about it when it came out, and then I kind of forgot about it. Do see it. In your, as, 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 imagine it as part of that thing a few years ago where you suddenly started watching all the Western kids films you'd forgotten to watch. Because yeah. it's a good one. I mean, I, you know, I do a podcast about these things. I don't think I would recommend any of the rest to you, like Cinderella or Maleficent, even though there are positives to be found in all of those things. Jungle Book's worth watching because there are a couple of moments in it that are like, ooh, that's, I, I wasn't on board with that. And that's significant because it should be a whole film. Um, and one of those moments is when... Um, What's, it, what's Peter Venkman's real name? Bill Murray, um, as Baloo, does sing The Bare Necessities, and that's really weird. Yep. <laughs> but there's another song um, 
they they go they they do I want to be like you King Louis song um, and again all names fail me but the man who I'm currently thinking of uh, plays King Louis and that alone makes it an exercise in what on earth is happening right now that actually works because of how wrong it is it it, it actually comes across as extremely creepy I this would make sense if I could remember the man's name but I can't. Yeah, and it just struck me as a really bad idea to watch all the modern Disney uh, animated uh, remakes. That's right. So that's why it, the idea appeals to me. Well, th- I, that's why I think you should uh, hail me as some kind of hero, because it's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, I watched a good dinosaur in Turbo. I mean... Did you? Oh, I didn't do that. Yeah, and I watched Planes. <laughs> Interestingly, when you type the Jungle Book into imdb it does not give you the jungle book i'm talking about mm. the the ones that come up are mowgli legend of the jungle 2018 because yes someone else is doing a live action remake of the jungle book as well um the jungle book 1942 the jungle book 1995 jungle book 2 and the second jungle book mowgli and baloo 1997 neither of the disney jungle books comes up in imdb's suggestions when you type jungle book not even the Jungle Book, not even the 1967, whenever it was, Jungle Book, comes up in the list. Isn't that weird? Ah, I found out how to find it. If I then go up to where I've typed Jungle Book in the search bar, and I click that as if to type something else, then the two Disney Jungle Books come up in a pull-down menu. Hmm. That's weird. <laughs> That's really weird. Okay, the man I was thinking of is Mr. Christopher Walken. Uh-huh. He plays King Louie. He sings I Want to Be Like You, and he plays it as like a mob boss character, and it's kind of scary and funny. It's a fascinating moment of filmmaking. Really, really weird. Really weird. I guess I'll see. Yeah, yeah. honestly, I can recommend that one. Maybe. So, hey, yeah. maybe The Lion King will be great. Yeah, so maybe if to, to, until next week, I'll, I'll pound through a bunch of these uh, Disney remakes. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm probably today uh, releasing another episode of Serious Disney where we talk about Maleficent. So we've already got Alice through the Looking Glass and Maleficent. So we will help you through those films. Um, <laughs> and then after that, you know, you'll have to wait a little bit until we bring out the episodes. But like, yeah, you, we will hold your hand and be your guide through those films. Um, I'm just hearing now that uh, um, Tom Hanks is currently in talks to play Geppetto in a remake of Pinocchio. We've got next year alone. Yeah, next year alone, we've got uh, The Lion King and Aladdin and Dumbo, Tim Burton's Dumbo, lest we forget. Yeah. That's coming out. Um, Aladdin, I'm frightened of. That's a weird one because to me, Aladdin was always, when I was, and I'm not about to say what you think I'm about to say, which is like, oh, Aladdin was special to me. No. Before they brought out Aladdin, Aladdin was the fairy tale I was desperate for Disney to do a version of. The very concept of that was so exciting to me before they ever said they were doing it. And then when it emerged, they were doing it. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't believe my luck. And when it came out and I loved it, it was a real moment. So, yeah, now I'm at the point of saying Aladdin was important to me. So on the one hand, I'm very happy to see a new film of Aladdin. Like I always have been. Any version of Aladdin, I'd be interested to see. But 
when it comes with this little sprinkle of desecration, when it comes with like, um, you know, not it, it's not just that Disney are doing a new movie of Aladdin. Because with Cinderella, that was what it was. They just mm. went, well, look, we've made a Cinderella film before. It was crap. We're making a Cinderella <laughs> film again now. And it's just a Cinderella film. It's just an adaptation of the story. It's not like they don't sing the songs from Cinderella. It's just a new Cinderella film. And great. What if Disney made Cinderella today? Great. But Aladdin, Aladdin was a very good cartoon and it was uh, done with, somehow they got the balance of Shrek style humor, which by the way came from Aladdin, Shrek ripped it off, with the heart of a real, like a real true Disney Renaissance animation. Great. It, somehow they married those two things and it worked perfectly. Mm. This one's being directed by Guy Ritchie. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be crap. So it's going to be crap. Yeah, or at least it's going to be. No, it's going to be crap. Yeah. there's no way it's going to be good. <laughs> it doesn't there's, make there's good no movie. Way. How I mean... could it possibly be good? <laughs> and and like, listen, I like Will Smith, and I cannot lie, but he's going to be the genie in this. That is nothing like as much personality as you got out of Robin Williams. There's, it's just nowhere close. Nowhere close does he have as much personality in his voice, in his person. Yes. Get him on stage for the for the Broadway version of Aladdin. Gr- oh my God! Yes, please. But yeah, no, nope. This, nope. <laughs> this should have been axed at the concept stage. <laughs> like, don't, don't. I mean, it can't. It, it couldn't be because they have to now. They have to bury all of their good films, so they've got to do them all. So sure, they have to do Aladdin, but not like this. It's going to be bad. So. Can't wait. I am honestly, I am fizzing with excitement to see what this is. Because what if it's great? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait. What if it's good? I can't wait for him to do Brother Bear. I mean, they're gonna at some point soon. They're gonna have to start on their their crap films that nobody cares about. But yeah. why not? They've, in fact, no. I take it back. The next serious business we're recording, which we might be doing this Wednesday, Pete's Dragon. <laughs> Who, whoever cared about Pete's Dragon? Not a single soul on this earth. And so they were so great. Remake those by all means. So, yeah, um, I'm just thinking what else they like. What what else could they do that would be a bad idea? Like there would be like a desecration of it. We're getting Pinocchio now. All right. That's a film that has never worked in live action. Go ahead, you idiots, you morons. Take something that was an, an unlikely work of a masterpiece, something still unmatched in many ways ever on any on any account by animation yeah screw it let's just make a crap live action film of pinocchio like <laughs> everyone else has there's loads of crap live action pinocchios let's just add another one um <laughs> it's not a good inherent it's not inherently a good story so you know l- l- there's nothing really to be mined there let's do that uh what are the what are the other disney classics let's find out i'm just gonna go and look at my shelf what else do we have <laughs> on my disney shelf sleeping beauty we've done Dumbo, we've done. Pinocchio, we've done. Alice, we've done. Little Mermaid, currently in production. Lion King, done. Aladdin, done. Beauty and the Beast, done. Sleeping Beauty, done. There's Lady and the Tramp, I suppose. Mm? I suppose there's Lady and the Tramp. So really, it's Snow White, and then that's it. They've they've milked their entire catalogue in the space of, what, five years or something? So yeah. then they'll have to go back to making films. So great. Yeah. Let's just get this out of their system right now. Yeah. Um... It feels so weird to do this. It feels so weird to like 
pull the lever on this without the... Okay, so Lion King is right. They're right to pull that lever because they've got the right director. They've proven he can do exactly this specific film because he's already done it in the Jungle Book. They, they've proved so many things because that has all the majesty of the African jungle stuff in it, right? Or, well, Indian jungle in that one, I think. Um, but it's you know what I mean? He's proved himself. Hmm. Um, but Aladdin, you, you're doing that now? You do, you've done Beauty and the Beast. You've proved you've screwed that up. That that was that didn't work. It's really weird that they would. Get, you know, it'll be Toy Story. They'll do Toy Story really soon. Bet ya. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remake a CG film as a CG film, but that looks real. Why not? <laughs> I we... actually think they will. <laughs> yeah. Should we go? Yeah. <laughs>